You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I saw a list of all of the players Chris Getz has acquired compared to the players that have left the White Sox. And I am astounded by the amount of in and out right now off of the 40-man roster. They're not huge names. They're, they're, not, they're not like world-shaking names. But I am taken aback by the amount of change that's been made in a short amount of time. You know, I, I keep going back to the idea this wasn't the GM that I asked for, Ed. But it's the GM that I got, and the GM that I got is at least doing what I would want from a general manager this year. If anybody would have walked into the room, I would have said, get rid of the glad handlers, the yes men, the people not doing any work, those described when Kenny Williams walked out the door as guys that wouldn't even hand in their scouting reports. Change who in the organization is evaluating talent. You know, have a pitching czar with the pedigree of Brian Bannister. Bring in somebody from a team uh, like the Arizona Diamondbacks who just built a team of young talent and is good at evaluating talent. You know, and then after that, I would have fired the manager, but I get why he's not doing it. Then after that, start having an identity. And he goes with defense and he starts building a base and he starts saying, I'm not going to force anybody from the minor leagues into a major league position. I'm going to at least have a base of professional players that are at least replacement level that they have to get beyond. And then I'm going to start changing what my roster is all about. And when he couldn't pull off the Dylan Cease trade, he didn't balk. He didn't make the deal that the Brewers made, which by the way, reports now are saying the same return and maybe one other player that was not in in the Baltimore top five, that's what was offered for Cease. If that's true, Chris Getz did good because Rick Hahn would have pulled the trigger because he felt like he needed to move Cease. And Getz said, not enough, good for him. And when it didn't work out for him and the market cooled on Cease, he said, that's my starter and I'm going to go find some young outfielders to put in right field. And Dominic Fletcher joins the team over the weekend. And I dig the kid. I like him as a prospect. I like thinking of him in right field next year. Up to this point, barring Jerry Reinsdorf handing him $150 million to go play with in the offseason, this, I think has been pretty successful so far. Still a little bit more to do, but pretty successful so far, and I like this weekend's deals. Well, here's the other thing, too, about it is, is you know, we talked about the fact that he's created competition this year, which for a team that doesn't have established players in every single position and doesn't have established stars, and that was the Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams problem. That was the problem with their model was everybody had to be a star. We have a star here, 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 and here, Okay. Chris Katz is willing to let guys be role players and he's willing to let guys just be professional ball players. Okay. So that in and of itself is good. But the other thing too, is this was not an off season that was loaded with guys that you wanted to go out and spend a ton of money on. I mean, there was a couple of guys. Okay. And I'm not saying that there weren't, there's not star power out there, but how much do you really want to, do you want to invest $210 million in Blake Snell who tends not to stay on the mound for very long? Do you really trust Cody Bellinger's rebound year with the Cubs? I mean, there's a reason, some reason why some of these guys haven't been signed yet. So 
I'm okay with the fact that he didn't go out and spend a whole bunch of money on a bunch of free agents because I didn't love the free agent class this year. There were useful players, but there were no stars, and they're getting paid like stars. And I love the fact that he didn't take the terrible ter- – that's a terrible return for Dylan Cease. It was a terrible return for Corbin Burns. The Brewers are morons. They clearly have been brewing and drinking, okay? <laughs> And, and, and I, I bristle at the fact that I'm reading articles like, oh, here's how here's how teams, now that the market has been set for Dylan Cease by the Corbin Burns trade, here's how teams should take advantage of that. And it's it's like, no, the market hasn't been set for Dylan Cease. The Brewers got fleeced. They were morons, and they gave away their best pitcher for a bag of peanuts. Exactly, and that's the thing. I want my GM to say I don't really care what the Brewers did. That was a bad deal. This is what my guy is worth. And guess what? He's right about what his guy is worth. Absolutely, He's right about what his guy is worth. He should stick to him as long as he wants to. And, you know, I see everybody keeps going. I don't know how they're going to turn this thing around and be competitive in 25. Like every time I sit there and I say, guys, it's not going to be a long rebuild. They're going to be able to turn around. They got all kinds of payroll flexibility and people like, well, you can't flip a roster that quick. Yes, you can. Look at the amount of names that have come in and the amount of names that have gone out when he wasn't spending money, when he gets the payroll flexibility next year. When they're a year closer to a new stadium, when they're doing something crazy like what the Royals just did, giving a ton of money to one player in advance of a vote on a stadium deal, which uh, there are several people, including a guy who used to be on was on the show before David Sampson, former uh, team president, who was like, that's like step three in getting a new stadium. Give a bunch of money to a young star and invest into it and spread it out and backload the thing so that you can benefit from the new stadium and that's how you're going to pay for it and get some excitement about your team and things like that. Like what the Royals are doing could be what the White Sox are doing next year. I think you can flip it around quickly. I think I see these names in and out and I believe they're going to flip it around quickly and I don't give away a guy in Dylan Cease who'll be pitching for you in 25 if nobody wants to pay the price. I'm not giving him away for nothing. This episode of Sacks in the Basement and every episode of Sacks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Cork and Carry at the Park. You heard the ad at the beginning of the show. Get in there now to that location at 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark and register. Uh, Kona Brewing and Cork and Carry sending you to Hawaii. Drawings on March 15th. There's no purchase necessary, but a Kona's $5 on draft there right now. Go enjoy one or two or three. Drink responsibly. There's also a Kona on draft and the opportunity to enter into that contest at their original Beverly location at 106th and Western. Get more details at CorkandCarry.com. I want to start with the deal that got me excited, and that was acquiring Dominic Fletcher right. for Christian Minya. And, and I, I, I like uh, there's so much to like about this. Trade. Well, I see, you know, look, I think that if you follow White Sox social media, especially Sox Twitter, which I don't know if it's called Sox X now, I, I don't know what you call it. But if you Sox follow X. it, you see so many people that like that love prospects that are on there. So many people that just fall in love with their own prospects, which is something that. You know the White Sox front office does too. A lot of teams I did. I did see people crying in their soup over the loss of Christian Mina. Right, but here's the problem. And and James Fox, who's been on the show so many times from Future Sox, who covers prospects, said it perfectly. Mina's a guy that's intriguing, but had some issues with his fastball this year. Doesn't have a lot of pitches, and could very easily end up as a bullpen piece, not a rotation piece. And you traded a guy like that that still was at the bottom of your top ten. In your own prospects, right? And and so depending on comparing to other systems, some people, he might be the 15th best prospect in their system. You move that guy for a guy that got a cup of coffee in the majors and actually performed last year. 
for a for a guy who the the only knock on him is what he's five nine. That's the knock. The only knock I can find on anybody, and it's funny because uh, I keep seeing five nine, and Baseball Reference has Dominic Fletcher as five six. <laughs> he's a tidy guy, right? right? Doesn't hit a lot of home runs, he's a right? Man, yeah, he's a wee man, and he doesn't hit a lot of home runs. But guess what? In AAA last year, the the guy goes out and has an eight ninety nine OPS because he hits a lot of doubles. He has a he has a, he had five triples down there. He's getting extra base hits, and his on base percentage was four hundred because he's selective, and that's what you read about him. And what what have we been looking for from our hitters for a while? Guys that go up there with an actual plan. And in his very short stint of ninety three at bats in twenty twenty three, he went out and did nothing less than hit three oh one. With a 350 on base percentage, slugging 441 with a 791 OPS, his OPS plus at 115. I want that in my right field, especially when I when I look at his his prowess in the outfield and see a guy that really is a center fielder but has the arm to be a right fielder. You got a defensive player who can easily cover right, and he could possibly hit. In the high 200s, or, I mean, like I said, in a very short, small sample size, 301 with an OPS at around 800, right away he becomes one of the best players on your team. Yeah. And I know that he's not a big name, but when you can't trade Cease for one of those big, like, you know, top prospects in right field that the Orioles have, you go get this guy that Barfield already knows about. Because he was in the Arizona system, and he says, yeah, we like this guy. Don't worry about his height. Don't worry about the home runs. He's going to contribute. You need a player like this. And you go and you snag him for a guy who's a prospect that hasn't made it anywhere close to the majors yet and may just be a relief pitcher. That's a great trade. Well, and here's the thing. So the home runs aren't big for this guy. 42 minor league home runs in 356 games. It's not not a good amount of power okay but an 840 ops overall which means that he hits the ball hard he can he can hit doubles uh you know he can he's got 21 triples in the minor in that in that time i mean that's that's a guy that can get around the bases and he can do some stuff and again defense that that's a big thing for chris Getz. think about the defense that you have in the outfield now with fletcher's in right and you have Luis robert jr in center it doesn't even matter. I, I don't even know if Andrew Benintendi needs to bring a glove. Okay. But he should. He <laughs> I mean, should. Good, he really should. Look, it's a good outfield right now. It, but it becomes a good outfield. And then you, you don't necessarily need home runs from every position. Now, right field historically has been a spot where you want a big hitter. But, and I know his name carries some, eh. But the only wet blankety thing I can say about Dominic Fletcher is, is that he might remind some people of Adam Eaton, but like but Adam, Eaton Adam Eaton, we liked Adam Eaton. No, good no, Adam no, but Eaton. good Adam yeah. Eaton. First time around Adam Eaton that goes on and wins a World Series with the Nationals, Adam Eaton. Right. That, that Adam Eaton. Yeah, that's that not, guy. I'll take that's him. That's not bad. I'll take that. Exactly. And and Christian Mina, you know, you want to get an idea of, of where Christian Mina's at. And, and again, you know, I know we fall in love with all of our prospects as White Sox fans because we have been force-fed for 20 years that every single prospect that is drafted to this team or signed from the international, you know, pool is the next god of baseball. But here's what Mike Hazen, the general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, says. He says Mina's not a finished product, okay? He's got a slider and a curveball that are, quote, really good and a decent changeup. But they really just wanted to add some youth to AAA. We think he has good stuff, but they need to refine his offerings, develop pitch sequencing, 
And what that tells me is, is that he's looking at this guy going, all right, I see the raw stuff, but I don't think this is a pitcher. I don't think that this is a guy that is going to contribute anytime soon. And we're not sure what we got here, but what they do have is they have a pitching project in exchange for an outfielder that they were never, ever going to use again because that outfield is loaded. That's why. That's why you're getting them. People are like, well, why? Exactly. Do you, how do you get this guy? You get him because they have so many outfield prospects. There's not enough places to put because him. Because they have Lourdes Gurriel and Alec Thomas and, and Corbin Carroll starting, and they have a, a number of guys that, that Fletcher was dealing with last year that he he hit 300. Listen, listen to his stats. This is what I love about him. <laughs> this is what I love about this kid. I know I'm gushing over somebody that'll probably go out and hit 240 this year. But, but look, I'd be surprised if he did that because at every level, at every level, he's consistent. You know, we, we always hear about Lenin Sosa, right? Like th- that's the thing that the thing of like, oh, you know, he needs like 60 games to get used to things. And, you know, we hear that about other guys too. Like, oh, when you move up to another level, you always see a guy drop off a little bit. So if he's got a 900 OPS in, in, in a ball, then all of a sudden he becomes like, you know, an 800 o- OPS in double A. And by the time he gets to the majors, he can't get over six. You hear that all the time, right? You see that. Well, let, let's take a look at this kid in college. He, he had 298 over his entire college career with an on base percentage of 360 and an OPS of 858. In the minors in four seasons across all levels, 295. 295 to 298. That's the difference in batting average going through professional baseball. Over right. over over 1600 at bats. He does he doesn't change at all. He and he still and his and his on-base percentage 366 compared to the 360 in college and his 840 OPS compared to the 858 in college. It didn't matter. He left college, went to the, went to pro baseball in the minors throughout all levels, had 1,600 at-bats. He's the same guy. He's the same guy at the plate. So now he gets his, his little stint in the majors, hits 301 with a 350 OBP and the 791 OPS. I would contend that he may be better in terms of his OPS when he gets a full season in the majors and finally comes along. This guy's a ball player, and he plays defense. Well, and here's the other thing, too. A metric that I always look at with young hitters, and this is when, when, when last year when I started peeing all over Oscar Colas' Cheerios before he made the team, I always look at how well do they strike out because that tells me are you feasting on crappy pitching and, and are you famine when it comes to good pitching, okay? Because if you swing and miss at good stuff, you're never going to make it in the majors because everybody's got good stuff. Even the lousy guys have better stuff than what you find in AAA. For his minor league career, Dominic Fletcher has – about a 21% K rate, which is decent, okay? It's better than Oscar Colas's was, uh, not by a, a huge amount, but it's better than Oscar Colas. It's actually 20.8 if you want to get specific. And when he came up to the majors over those 21 games, I'm sorry, 28 games, it was about 21.5% is what his K rate was, which meant he was absolutely consistent. He's been consistent, like you said, at every level, which means he's had an acceptable K rate, he's had a good walk rate, he gets on base, he can hit, he can hit with some authority. It doesn't necessarily translate into home runs, but he's just a ball player, and and the Sox need a ball player. And they, you know, they they also created competition with him because Oscar Colas still exists. And then they go and bring in Zach Deloach, who is also a fairly major league ready prospect. Yeah. Player. Now this was a guy I wasn't as excited about because compared to Dominic Fletcher, uh, me neither. I found problems with him, but I see that he'll be competing. And before we dive into them, just a quick reminder, uh, check out the new Vouch store at SoxInTheBasement.com. Just look at the menu at SoxInTheBasement.com and click on the store and you go to the Vouch store. These are products that we're supporting, small businesses, like a veteran-owned coffee shop. 
their proceeds are going towards helping disabled veterans. They're disabled veterans. If you like coffee, I want you to check out Split Rock Coffee. Also, Camp Craft Cocktails, uh, if you ever wanted to be your own bartender. There's so many really cool things on there. We're adding more and more small businesses to our vouch store, but there are always places that we can vouch for and that we want you to find and enjoy because they're cool little businesses and they've got things that we think Saks in the Basement listeners would like. Check it out again at Saks in the Basement. Click on store on the menu or go direct to vouch.store slash Saks in the Basement. All right, let's look at this Seattle Mariners trade with the White Sox, which I envisioned it as being they were talking about Cease. Somehow we're like, hey, can you can you throw in Santos? And then when things broke down with Cease, they're like, well, let's just do the Santos deal for these prospects. Like, that's how I felt because you had heard that they were interested in Cease a week ago. And I love the idea that they moved on from a relief pitcher who everybody thinks could be a closer. But let's be honest, he hadn't, hadn't really gone and done it for a full season, and you capitalize on pro- maybe his high point, may not be his high point, and you go oh, and you bring back prospects that you need. And Brian Bannister, I, I saw this interesting stat. I think he's had uh, Santos in his system three times, and three times he's been traded while Brian Bannister was in there. So he clearly does not like the cut of his jib. Like he was like, yeah, can we move the Santos guy? What did he ever do to Brian Bannister? Well, he wasn't very good. I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> last year was Gregory Santos's best year. Okay, and and I agree with you. I think what I think honestly what happened was I think that Zach Deloach and Perlander Barroa were two of the names that were floated to Chris Getz as being includable in a Dylan C's trade. And when Getz sits there and goes, "Well, those guys aren't moving the needle enough for Dylan Cease, but I like them." Can I interest you in, say, Gregory Santos or, or one of the other pitchers that I'm willing to move? Right. And they're sitting there going, you know what? We like Santos enough to put into our bullpen. And this is a bullpen that's expected to compete, but Santos is not going to be their closer. So they're looking at it going, we trust him more than we trust a rookie. Yeah, but the thing point. is, the, the the young kid that they got back, the relief pitcher that they got back. I think back, it's better than Santos. He might be better than him. I mean, he's probably going to be a relief pitcher. Like, to me, I feel like all Getz did was say, I'm giving up a guy that's got five years of control that may have done a little bit more in the major leagues for a guy that projects to be him, if not better, along with another outfielder that I need. And the pick, which is incredible, that you go and you get yourself a pick. That's the thing that, that got me was getting the pick out of that. But look at, here's the thing. Okay, Gregory Santos last year for the White Sox, 1.296 whip, which is okay, not great, but okay. 3.39 ERA. And, uh, you know, a, a handful of saves. It's not like he was the closer of the entire year. He had five saves on the year, okay? And those are his five saves in the majors. In the minors, he had a 1.453 whip and a 3.56 ERA. He's got an ERA of four for his major league career, a whip of 1.375. Gregory Santos isn't a great pitcher, Okay, he's not he's not terrible, but he's not great. He he's just not seemed dominant. great because of how bad everything else was around him, guys. Well, that's the thing. He was the <laughs> best of a lousy bunch of players. Right. And 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 what you get back in Perlander Baroa is a guy who last year only a couple of games in the majors. So and, and that's all he's got is the two games in the majors. We're not gonna we're not gonna pay much attention to those stats because it's too small of a sample size with one and two thirds innings. But in the minors, an ERA of three point five eight, which is pretty good. Uh, 124 games, 77 of which were starts, um, 24 times he's finished games. He's got six saves, but finished games means, you know, that he, that he came in at the end of the game there. 
and a 1.319 whip, which isn't great, but isn't bad. More importantly, 12 strikeouts per nine innings versus Gregory Santos's career minor league of 7.6 strikeouts per nine and then 8.9 in the majors. So you want to talk about a guy, like you said, who's probably a relief arm, and that's okay, okay? What, what Chris Getz did was he traded Gregory Santos, who was the best of a bad bunch of bullpen arms last year, and turned him into a younger version of Gregory Santos who has a chance to be better than Gregory Santos. Then he gets a guy who could be your fourth outfielder. I don't think Zach Deloach has the game to be a starter. No, no, you're you're hoping he's a fourth outfielder. But but I think he's he's a solid candidate to be a good fourth outfielder. And and if nothing else, a guy that you can you can pop in when inevitably there's an injury, right? If you had to live with Zach Deloach for two weeks while Luis Robert Jr.'s on the on the IL, you could do that. If you had to live with Zach Deloach for a couple of weeks while Andrew Benintendi or Dominic Fletcher's on the IL. You could do you know, that. You know what he is? He's the kind of guy that could make it so that you don't have to worry about seeing Gavin Sheets in the outfield. Right? Like, there's a guy There's a guy who had a bad weekend because I don't see him standing in the outfield now. Like, I don't no. I don't know if he makes the team. He's got to well, make the team he, as, no, in a, as he, a guy that they I, think they can come off the bench hitting lefty and stands at first base from time to time, which was his original position, because you don't need to put him out there as a defensive liability in the outfield anymore. No, because if you want to have a veteran in that there, you've got Kevin Pillar and Brett Phillips, who are both on uh, minor league deals to, to come into spring training and try and win right. a bench job. I'd run outfield. a Loy out there as a backup outfielder before I put Gavin out there. Oh, uh, a thousand percent. Right? Like, I mean, that's what I would do. I'd be like, yeah. you need an outfielder today. Loy, grab your glove. Gavin just sits at the end of the bench with like a sad face. And he seems like he's a really nice guy. I'm not trying to bash him, right? But he was never an outfielder. And it was one of the biggest problems that this team had that they kept trying to put him in there. And and I feel like I'm not going to see that. If I see that during this season, you're going to have I'm going to be screaming on this show if Pedro starts sticking him out in the outfield. I don't want to hear him mentioned no. as an outfielder. The first time he's asked about it spring training, the response should be, We have an awful lot of outfielders. He was pressed in the service over the last couple of years to help us out on a shortcoming that we don't have anymore. I'd like him to concentrate on hitting. And being available for us at first base. You should hear that Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets over the past few years, you know, we appreciate the fact that they busted their ass to try and become serviceable outfielders, if not good outfielders, but their natural position is first base or DH. Right, and, and we don't need to do this anymore. That should be the response, Ed. Right. We don't. This is why we go out and make these trades, so we don't have to have this. This is why you bring in major league outfielders who are not stars, but are competent bench guys because you don't want to have that you don't want Gavin Sheets dropping balls in the outfield you don't want Andrew Vaughn hurting himself every time he has to dive for a ball that Dominic Fletcher would be able to catch on the run right. and you don't go get Nicky Lopez and Paul DeYoung and all these other defensive players and then put something like that in right field it defeats the purpose Our guest today on Socks in the Basement is brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and take a walk with the Lamont Quarrymen through Lamont's historic hangouts. It's Drinking with Lincoln, the historic pub crawl, this Friday, February 9th. They're hitting eight historic downtown hangouts. Get more details at lamontdowntown.com. Joining me on the phone line right now, uh, we talked to him last year, and I find uh, fantasy baseball analysis 
to be a great way to look at projecting players out at the MLB level. And uh, we've had Scott White on from CBS Fantasy Sports before, and he rejoins us again here on Socks in the Basement. Scott, how are you? Doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Uh, first of all, my Dynasty Fantasy League uh, had its winter meetings. We do this every every year. We pick a day on the weekend. Everybody comes down to the nine-foot homemade oak bar where I do the, the podcast from, but it's also a full working bar. Everybody gets out their teams, their 40-man rosters, and starts trying to remake things before we, we hit the free agent draft uh, in about the second week of March when we start doing things. So I would imagine your leagues are moving along as well. How many are you in? Oh, gosh. I'm not sure I have an accurate count yet. I would say it's usually between 12 and 15. That's, Three of them <laughs> dynasties. That's so many. I, I've heard of people with more, if you can believe it. I don't know how they, how they are able to manage them all at once. You have to be really disciplined about it. I'll tell you that much. So I want to talk about a couple of uh, White Sox prospects because you, you, you guys put out lists and, and you, you, I think you're really looking at impact, especially when you're putting out your prospect list. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're looking at, well, is the guy a good prospect? And are we going to actually have a chance of seeing him this year? Like, it, it, could he have an impact on this year's fantasy season? And a guy that has moved up your list is Colson Montgomery. Oh, yeah, I would say definitely the best. And he's the best White Sox prospect, period. Yeah, there is the potential for him to be up at some point this year. He kind of got lost in the prospect ranks early on last season because he was uh, dealing with injury and it was kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing. People weren't exactly sure how he was going to handle the move up to uh, the double A because the previous year in 2022, he kind of struggled with that transition, but it went better this time around. What stands out most for Montgomery's is on base skills. He is, uh, he reached base at a 456 clip between the three levels he played at last year. The power is coming along. It's not fully there yet, but he's a big guy, six foot three, and um, you know, kind of built like Corey Seager. Actually, I've, I've used that comparison before. It's kind of a lofty one, but I, I think I think the power is eventually going to be there for Montgomery. I think if he does uh, show improvement in that regard, I don't know if he's going to begin the year back at Double A AA or Triple A. It might depend that that might impact the timetable as well. But the on-base skills are so good. And obviously they don't have anyone blocking in the shortstop anymore. So I, I, I think there's a good chance we see him. Maybe not until September, but at some point this year. You know, it's it's all about projecting players, I think, for you. And, and I'm sure that you spend all year long crunching numbers and trying to figure out, like, where does a guy sit, what tier he's on, uh, and you, when you're giving advice uh, to fantasy baseball players. And I find I find pitching projection to be, I don't know, something that I'm probably just getting lucky on. Like, I always look at, like, a guy's whip, and I say, well, he doesn't put a lot of guys on, so maybe he was surrounded by an awful lot of problems that year. Maybe the defense wasn't picking him up, but he really doesn't give up, uh, put, put a lot of guys on base, so maybe I'll see a rebound with that pitcher. And that's how I try to find value guys. And I, I think about a guy that's uh, joining the White Sox this year who was in the KBO last year in Eric Fetty who, you know, looked really good in those stats that are out there, and now he comes over and he's back in the majors. How do you guys evaluate a player like that? Because you know what he did the first time around when he was in Major League Baseball, but just see what he did in the KBO. How do you project a guy like that, and what do you think of him? Oh, I love Eric Fetty this year. You're, you're speaking my language with that one, and I'm, I feel like I'm out on a limb with him because he hasn't gotten a lot of hype 
in fantasy, at least not yet. Maybe once spring training starts and, and everybody sees how different he is, that'll change. Okay, so I, to give you the numbers from Korea, he went 20-6 and six with an even 2 ERA, a .95 whip, and 209 strikeouts in 180 in a third inning. He was so good that he wasn't just their equivalent of Cy Young winner. He, he won the MVP of the league in his one year there. Now, we have seen pitchers make that transition from Korea to the majors before. Merrill Kelly is the main one, Diamondbacks pitcher. He's, he's gone on to be a, a real stable option for them. Obviously, pitched for them in the World Series last year. His numbers in Korea, Merrill Kelly's I'm talking about, was like a mid-threes ERA. And you got Eric Fetty putting an even two ERA up there. Really, it goes beyond the numbers, too, because this is something Brian Bannister, who is pitching advisor for the White Sox, this is something he pointed out on Twitter. Eric Fetty, prior to going to Korea, the offseason before going there, he remade his entire arsenal. He introduced a sweeper that helped improve those strikeout numbers, and he introduced a split change that Brian Bannister compared to Logan Webb. Logan Webb, ace for the Giants, Led the majors in ground ball rate last last year, 62.1%. Eric Fetty's in Korea was 70%, unheard of. So he has this new strikeout ability with the sweeper. He has this Logan Webb-like ground ball ability with the, with the split change. And uh, that's why he was so successful there. I don't know exactly how those numbers are going to translate. But given the precedent of Merrill Kelly, who, you know, went from being like a mid-three ZRA in Korea to a mid-three guy for the, for the Diamondbacks, uh, I'm expecting big things for Fetty this year. I'm high on Dominic Fletcher. Uh, throw some cold water on me. Or is he a sneaky, good pickup now for a fantasy baseball player and also somebody that White Sox fans should be a little excited about? He could be a sneaky pickup. I, I do think with Diamondbacks, prospects, you have to be careful because both AA and AAA in that organization, very hitter friendly, especially AAA Reno. And so power numbers can get inflated there. All, all offensive contributions can get inflated there. But digging a little deeper on Dominic Fletcher, the exit velocity readings are, are solid. They, they, don't, they don't suggest he's like some massive power hitter, but they're, they don't suggests that he's some slap hitter either. There, there's a chance he could be a good enough hitter to hold down a starting job in the majors. He stands out more defensively, and that's why I think on a, a rebuilding team like the White Sox uh, definitely has a leg up for playing time. I don't know that he's going to be somebody we're especially high on in fantasy, unless it's a, a really deep league, but I, I think he'll get playing time. I think he should produce a pretty good batting average. He's the, he's the brother, you know, of uh, former Angels infielder David Fletcher, who was one of the, had one of the highest contact rates in, in, in all the majors when he was healthy. Anyway. You, you got to think Dominic Fletcher has a little of that in him too. Look, for, for the position the White Sox are in, I, I think it was a fine pickup, and I think he'll, he might surprise some people. Well, uh, first of all, I want to say thanks for jumping on. Secondly, I, I want to get your uh, professional opinion before I let you go here on Sacks in the Basement. I have the number two overall pick in my in my draft this year in my dynasty, and uh, I'm I'm set. I'm a strong team. I'm looking at prospects, right? And I've got two names that I'm looking at that are available: Paul Skeens, Wyatt Langford. I think pitching's more valuable. But it, it, I think they're both going to be available because I think the guy in front of me is taking Yamamoto. 
So if I if Yamamoto goes first uh, first in this draft, and I'm looking at prospects, uh, can I make a mistake by picking the wrong one there, or are both of those guys just expected to be good? Both of them are expected to be good. I you said it's a points league, right? It's Which a points league. Yes, generally makes pitching more valuable. Pitching is also more volatile. It's, it's much. I I mean, you said it yourself, talking about uh, identifying low whip targets. Like it, it's just it's just a lot harder for, to predict how a, a pitcher is going to, how he's going to transition to the majors, how his career is going to unfold. And, and so there was a lot more risk in that profile for, for Paul Skeens. So you're taking on a lot more risk by, by opting for him rather than Wyatt Langford, who I think is just going to be, I mean, with hitters in, in general, it's, it's, you're more likely to guess right with hitters. And the way he just completely dismantled the entire minor league system after he was drafted by the Rangers last year, already putting him in a position to maybe win an opening day job. Uh, tremendous play discipline, projects for average and power, steals some bases as well. But really, the, the fact that the points league, as much as Wyatt Langford walks, I mean, you may be getting, again, I, this is probably too lofty of a comparison, but it's it, it's a bit reminiscent of Juan Soto, play discipline that good and just totally destroyed every stop on, on a, a very quick ride to the majors. So you can tell which way I'd be leaning if I was you. I'd be leaning toward Wyatt Langford. So I, I'd go Wyatt Langford if I was you. Well, I love it because like I, I was like telling people, like, I just got I got the second pick. I'm taking skeins, and I've, I've been so confident in it. But I have been following Scott White for a while now, folks. I mean, you can follow him on Twitter or X at CBS Scott White. And uh, I, I listen to your advice. I read your columns. I've won four dynasty championships in the in the last eight years, and uh, I, it's a tough oh, league wow. that I'm in. And I, but I I have been following a lot of what Scott White tells me to do. So now I'm I don't know Scott. Now I'm now I'm reconsidering. You got me thinking about it now. <laughs> I, I, you got me really nervous now that I was leading the wrong way. Wyatt Langford maybe joining the Ninja Black Sox in a league that nobody cares about except for me. Uh, Scott, I, I, I really appreciate you jumping on the line and uh, and and kind of breaking down a couple of these uh, names that uh, that I think will be interesting for the Sox this year. I, I'm curious about that and uh, for giving me some good advice on what to do with that number two pick. Thanks so much. All right, happy to do it, Chris. Thanks. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.